on the economy or in the near term. So unfortunately, market is still under pressure. Okay, well, thank you very much for your thoughts there. You heard Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. And our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look around the uh, Asia-Pacific stock markets. Right now, the ASX 200 in Australia uh, is up about a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is down half a percent. The Cosby in South Korea off about a third of a percent. Uh, and it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 230 points lower in just under an hour's time. The weather... Th- oh, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Do stay tuned for Back Chats for Janice Wong and Danny Gittings coming up in a moment. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy with a few showers. Sunny intervals during the day, maximum temperature of around 31 degrees. Sunny intervals and a few showers in the next few days. Uh, strong monsoon signal is in force right now. Temperature is 28 degrees, 73% relative humidity. Times 8.31, here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, has told the Security Council that Washington will be tabling a resolution condemning what she termed a sham referendums by Russia in four regions it partly occupies in Ukraine. But China's U.N. ambassador told the council that U.S. talk of further sanctions against Russia would only lead to a dead end. Moscow has claimed almost total support in the votes on joining Russia. Its UN ambassador is Vasily Nemenzia. The authorities said e-health records show that the certificates issued by the seven private doctors account for more than half of all... The referendum was conducted exclusively, transparently, upholding all electoral norms. This is an undisputed fact. However, the Kiev regime and its partners want to say anything to the contrary. More than 100 independent international observers monitored it from 40 countries and were particularly surprised by how enthusiastic people were about the referendum. Unfortunately, you won't hear this. The government says that from October the 12th, it'll stop recognizing more than 20,000 vaccine pass exemption certificates issued by seven private doctors. The doctors are accused of issuing the documents without holding medical consultations. Mike Weeks reports. The authorities said e-health records show that the certificates issued by the seven private doctors account for more than half of all the vaccine pass exemptions currently in circulation. Patients who hold them are urged to consult other medical practitioners. Six of the doctors have been arrested, while a seventh is wanted by the police. One who works at a clinic on Lychicock Road was detained yesterday. The 65-year-old is alleged to have issued 3,196 exemption certificates from February to May. A pedestrian has died and five other people have been injured after a truck hit a number of vehicles before running onto a pavement in Kuntong last night. The truck rammed into the front of a Bank of China branch before finally coming to a halt. Todd Harding reports. Police said they received a call about the fatal accident near the intersection of Fu Yan Street and Shui Wall Street at about 9pm. They said the crash involved a 5.5-tonne truck, a light goods vehicle, a coach, two taxis and a minibus. Officers said a 65-year-old man who was hit during the multiple collisions was rushed unconscious to hospital where he was declared dead. Three passengers in the truck and the drivers of the light goods vehicle and the minibus were also hurt. 
The 65-year-old truck driver was arrested for dangerous driving, causing death, and is being detained for inquiries. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Danny Gittings. Today we're talking about how to stem child abuse amid a series of high-profile abuse cases involving both domestic incidents and at child care facilities. Speaking about the latest case of alleged abuse at a care centre run by the Poland Cook, Chief Executive John Lee said authorities are working to strengthen laws against abuse, while it may enlist the help of trustworthy independent bodies to step up inspections at child care institutions. Could more inspections help to ensure childcare staff don't go over the line? Are care centres adequately staffed and are they given enough training? After 9.15, we will look at why NASA has purposely crashed a spacecraft into an asteroid. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at RTHKHK or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining our discussion this morning, we have on the line Carol Sito, the Chief Executive Officer of Save the Children Hong Kong, and Dr. Amelia Lee, Head of Early Childhood and Elementary Education at the Hong Kong Baptist University's School of Continuing Education. Good morning, Ms. Sito and Dr. Lee. Uh, good morning. Thanks for joining good morning, us. Jenny good morning. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, so, first of all, Ms. Sito, are you surprised about the latest suspected abuse case at a care center? I mean, after all, it's uh, just been a few months since uh, abuse cases were discovered at a uh, foster home in Prince Edward, and uh, several former staff there have uh, um, recently been jailed for, for abusing kids there. Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? Ms. Sito, are you, are you surprised by the latest case? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it just uh, comes after yeah. a, a recent uh, case uh, at a foster home in Prince Edward. Yes, very much. I mean, uh, there has been such a public outcry on the issue of child abuse cases in Hong Kong. You know, uh, with a five-year-old girl last year, and then uh, earlier this year, the residential home, the scandal. So it's so surprising. You know, yet again, too soon, you hear about incidents like that at the Polo Cook um, uh, incident. So it's very disappointed for us. And uh, the chief executive, uh, John Lee, has uh, already pledged to uh, fast-track legislation regarding uh, the mandatory reporting of suspected child abuse. Uh, um, but he said before that's uh, ready, the more inspections should be carried out by uh, what he described as a trustworthy, independent bodies. Um, Ms. Sito, is that the best solution for now? Um, we very much welcome the chief executive's uh, uh, urging and, and pushing ahead to pass this uh, new bill on mandatory reporting of suspected uh, child abuse. Uh, I think uh, increasing inspections is only one thing. There are so many things that we need to do collectively and that child-facing organizations need to do. Uh, you know, making sure that child safeguarding policies are there and that the, the, the staff are actually well-trained and understand the expected behaviors. Uh, that's very important. And um, also making sure, you know, this monitoring and reporting system is there uh, so that people actually, when they see something, they know where to go to, uh, the who and what, the how, you know, all these are communicated. So these 
suspected cases can be uh, looked into and investigated upon. And all these things are still needed, and it's not only just increasing the number of inspections. Now, there's been a lot of concern among healthcare professionals that under the new law they might they might run into trouble if they if they don't spot something and uh, don't report it. Are, are those kind of concerns valid? Uh, I think that the concerns are valid. You know, sometimes you don't want people to uh, uh, be scared of any uh, uh, penalty. But I think, you know, looking at the proposed law, I mean, they do have uh, provisions for that. You know, it's very, very important to pro uh, protect the anonymity uh, of the people who report. Because uh, the important thing of this law is to actually encourage people to report. You don't want people to go in the other way. Um, it's Enough is enough. You know, we have seen enough of these cases around at child-facing organizations and also, I would you know, say, also at the home, you know, at home and outside of the home. So you do want to encourage people to report and make sure the law is written in such a way that people don't get scared uh, not to report these incidents. And, uh, and Dr. Lee, um, just now when Ms. C. is talking about uh, not just uh, increasing inspection, that's important, but also having well-trained staff. Uh, do you know um, what the staffing situation is like at these centres? Are, are, are most of the staff well-trained? Uh, I think uh, if you want to be a staff in uh, the centre, uh, they have to go through uh, training, uh, academic training, that may be at a diploma level or degree level. And then uh, they have uh, to obtain a certificate, a license, a pre uh, registration qualification from the social welfare department as well as uh, education bureau before they are able to be uh, a qualified uh, teacher in the center. So uh, supposedly they are all well trained uh, in uh, not only in the theory, they are required to put into uh, practice so they will place into center for practicum. So uh, suppose they are very well trained before they are placed to the uh, center. However, uh, in, uh, about the quality of uh, teachers, there are two issues. One is on the initial training. So uh, for the initial training, it is already sufficient enough. Uh, every training institute has followed the uh, framework required by EDB and SWD. Uh, the issue, another issue is on the uh, professional development. Because uh, when uh, our teachers enter the workforce, uh, the uh, society change very often, uh, different social issues arises. So uh, on-the-job training or continuous professional development is also very important uh, for a teacher. Right. And how, how, uh, of course, there are many different causes for child abuse, but uh, uh, Dr. Lee, many people are suggesting that um, the whole COVID, in the terms of the uh, stress it's put on families and also uh, children staying at home more, is one reason for this rise in child abuse cases. Is, is that something you agree with? Uh, I, I agree, because there are lots of research uh, in the group. Uh, OECD has done a very thoughtful research on the impact of COVID. So not only in Hong Kong, uh, some other countries uh, put stress on the family because children, uh, some deprived families, like in the States or uh, uh, some other areas, because children are entitled to have meal, uh, free meal when they attend school. Uh, under the COVID situation, actually, children are under, uh, are under uh, maybe uh, nutrition is an issue, and also behavior and academic learning as well. So that is, that is the, not only the problem in Hong Kong, but around the globe, yeah. 
And Dr. Lee, you just mentioned that uh, on-the-job uh, training is very important to adapt to changes. Um, is there an unclear line between what is abuse and discipline? I mean, um, looking at uh, the situation now and maybe several years ago. Yeah, I think this is an issue because, as you know, um, uh, government wants to um, uh, impose uh, a mandatory reporting requirement for all um, uh, in-service teachers so that uh, they may be very scared about how to draw the line. Uh, sometimes discipline is good for a child because um, according to uh, our theory, uh, sometimes we need positive reinforcement and then uh, sometimes we need firm message to deter some uh, very high-risk behavior. But however, if you uh, do not define clearly what is child abuse, that uh, the industry may be scared. So I think um, now uh, recently the government has already uh, conducted some uh, consultation sections to make, to make clear about the requirements that will ease the uh, worry of the frontline teachers and childcare workers. Yeah. Ms. Sito, do you think that's a problem? Uh, uh, I don't think this is a problem, uh, but I think at the beginning, uh, every one of us may have a concern, may not clear about the line, uh, they may have a risk of over-reporting, they may have a risk of over-worry among the, uh, uh, between attention between the family and the, uh, and the childcare worker. So I think after a while, like many countries, uh, they have that kind of system. If they master well, uh, we clear, uh, have more training or uh, communications between the parents, the teachers, then we can uh, manage it well. Yeah. What about Ms. Sito? What's your view on that? I mean, do you think there is an unclear line between uh, what is abuse and uh, discipline? Um, I think discipline that can be firm may not necessary to have body interaction. Yeah, we can have a firm message. So uh, we have some uh, quiet time for the kids if they are naughty. Maybe uh, we, we uh, 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 draw the children away from the group if uh, the, the child has uh, some uh, uh, unacceptable behavior, beat their classmate. So I think uh, if we make it clear, I think it works. Don't worry so much because uh, we can draw the line. Uh, for abuse that usually um, involves is, uh, violence or emotion among the adults or the teachers. So if you are calm, uh, that is a weight of discipline. So um, every adult should be very conscious and mindful about the um, emotion conditions of that person. Sometimes abuse comes because we are um, too emotional, uh, we are not rational, and uh, act in a way that is not to the beneficials of our children. Miss um, Sito, I just yeah. want to follow up. Just now you were talking about how other, many other countries have laws, and that's true, but in many cases those laws are actually tougher than what's been proposed in Hong Kong. And in the US and Australia, you have to report all um, cases of child abuse, whereas the Hong Kong law is talking about only sort of cases where there's a risk of imminent harm to the child and so on. Um, do you think the, new, the proposed law in Hong Kong actually goes far enough? And, uh, yeah. I, I, I do think so, uh, but, but because they are still under consultation. So we need to uh, let uh, the policy makers know that the concern, so not to overdraw the line, because uh, actually I attend one of the sections. They have already uh, prepared both charts uh, about the cases. So just report the serious and not the serious cases. 
So, uh, but I think from my experience as a, uh, uh, a board of manager in some kindergarten, uh, the teachers uh, play safe uh, very much. They report all the cases, in even some uh, minor injury about the kids. So uh, the judgment will depend on the institutions and the school principals, the supervisor. Isn't the argument yeah. that... Sorry, Ms. Lee? Yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't the argument that um, even if case is not serious immediately, it, it, can, it can easily escalate to a serious case? And if you have a wider reporting system, you can catch these cases earlier? Uh, uh, I think uh, this is um, a dilemma between the trust and uh, the um, reporting. If we um, uh, report a very minor issue uh, that will spoil your relationship with the family, that is not good as well. So I think uh, at the beginning, uh, we need to use a soft approach to deal with the family. Of course, if it is about the teachers, the school principal or supervisor have the authority to deal with it. Yeah. But for the family, I think it is better uh, to build on the trust. So uh, from another angle, maybe the school can uh, conduct more talks about what is child abuse because parents may not have that kind of uh, uh, knowledge or idea. So uh, they, uh, at the beginning, uh, we need to do some uh, mass education in the public to arouse the awareness amongst all the families and the uh, workers, the practitioners, or anyone who deal with young children. And uh, Dr. Lee, um, yeah. with all the um, inspections we're talking about and uh, security cameras monitoring staffs every move, um, is it difficult to find people to work at these uh, centres? Uh, actually, from my perspective, um, uh, we just we do not do anything just because of problem uh, that will put stress to everyone. I think uh, it is better to establish some uh, system or mechanism that would improve the quality because uh, uh, for about quality education or quality service, we always talk about structure and uh, process. Structure is about the ratio of students and uh, teachers, uh, the environment, uh, the nutrition, the diet, and then process is how the teacher interacts with the kids. So if we have that kind of guidelines, that will make clear and everyone excels, then we can minimize the child abuse. If we just focus on the problem, then everyone feel, feel not pressure in our work, but uh, 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 stress that is the pressure. That is harm to every stakeholder. So I think I agree to have some mechanism, like external party. Uh, in some other areas, they may appoint uh, an independent uh, body, uh, composed of different members like uh, university faculty, faculties, frontline or parents in the group and they do the inspection with a very clear uh, performance indicator. For example, how many children, uh, the ratio that is the government uh, policy direction about the classroom setting, they will interview parents, they will observe the kids' behavior, the learning to, to evaluate whether the school is good enough to provide the services. So I think um, ex a, a involving external parties is not bad, but not just to spot the problem, but to enhance the organization to have a substantial uh, continuous improvement. 
So when the uh, chief executive John Lee is talking about uh, looking for like a trustworthy, independent body to to carry out more inspections, you think he should be uh, setting up a new body to to carry out all those inspections? Maybe then? independent body is also good enough, but not just go to spot the problem, but make it a more holistic view, uh, beneficial to the whole organization, so they can uh, have a self reflections about the service they provide. Uh, the quality they provide to parents, family, so allow them to have uh, a, 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 a chance to improve. Otherwise, I'm afraid that uh, there is put a lot of stress to the industry, and they may feel difficulty on uh, hiring uh, uh, some staff to join uh, in the in the centre. And yeah, that is not good for the whole sector and also for the whole economy. So, what, in your view, are trustworthy, independent bodies? Uh, trustworthy and independent bodies, uh, I think uh, we can follow some uh, quality assurance mechanism. Uh, the government can appoint a pool uh, of, uh, they define as uh, com- uh, uh, trustworthy or qualified, and then allow the, uh, the centre being inspected to pick up those suitable uh, panels to reveal them. So that is a mutual, uh, uh, mutually uh, agreed situation that the, the, the incentive feel comfortable uh, for the external visitor to come in. And uh, those people are defined by government as a trustworthy. Uh, they can uh, frankly share the situation. Then uh, that would be, a, 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 I think, that is a more uh, optimal situation for both parties. Yeah. Uh, Miss Sito, if we, we look at the figures... That... Uh, Tommy, Amelia, yes, Miss Sito, if we look at the figures, they, they, they seem to show an alarming increase in child abuse in Hong Kong. They say there were more than 1,300 cases last year. It's an increase of um, more than 50, or around 50% on the number the previous year. Uh, has, has the number of, do we think the number of cases in child abuse have really gone up so much, or is it just that they've been better reported? went up 45% from 2020 to 2021, so that's very alarming. Unfortunately, I think the over 1,300 number of cases is actually an under-reporting. Uh, under um, you look at the situation in Hong Kong, there have been a lot of stress, uh, actually, with the economy, um, with the environment, and especially with COVID, you know, a lot of children uh, and <clears throat> parents actually isolated at home, and that increases the stress level. So I'm actually not surprised that the numbers are uh, have increased. In fact, in uh, around the world, the safety children where we work, uh, over the you know these periods of COVID, we actually do see that increased risk of child abuse uh, happening around the world uh, because of all the stress, the economic stress, and then the, the family stress. You, you mentioned under-reporting. I think there's some... Just how bad could the situation be then? I think there's some suggestions maybe sort of globally only one in ten cases are reported or something like that. I mean, do we need to multiply these these figures by something like ten to get to the true number of cases? Uh, it, it will be hard to generalise. Uh, I think every environment, every situation is different. I don't know what is the right number of... Uh, uh, you know, the correct number of, of cases, you know, let's say in Hong Kong. But I, I do think that, you know, before we, we mentioned before that we probably will see an increased number of reporting when the law passes, um, there will be over-reporting. So it's so important that we make sure the system can actually handle it. But the one thing we can be pretty sure about is the number of cases at the moment is only 
term might be the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's exactly. only a fraction of the number, the true number of cases. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and so we can expect a huge increase in number of cases when we have the new law, just because more of these cases will start to be reported. Uh, we I don't know if we will be huge. There will pre probably be over-reporting because, uh, as uh, uh, Dr. Lee also mentioned before, uh, you know, people need to be trained. We need to know uh, uh, where to draw the line so if they can distinguish between these different levels of uh, uh, cases, then people will know when to report and when not. Uh, you mentioned before that, you know, it, it is a big question. You know, how do we define child abuse? Uh, how do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? Um, uh, social welfare department does mention physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, neglect also, and even uh, uh, emotional or psychological abuse. And each one of these cases, you have to actually define it very clearly. Uh, if I look at actually uh, the proposed law right now, uh, just looking at physical abuse, they say, you know, if the child is being seriously injured and harmed or at only at imminent risk of suffering serious harm, then the person is uh, mandated to report. But if it's not seriously injured, then it's only optional. Um, so this is a, a, a very a, a good you know, case here. You know, how, by nature, uh, child abuse is serious. So how can you say, you know, if the child is only hit in sensitive areas like the eyes and the head and the chest, and uh, you see uncontrolled bleeding and, the whole, uh, and loss of consciousness, um, these are the cases that you report. I, sh I don't think we should stop there. I think we need to broaden it so that people, when they see something and these injuries, that they are actually encouraged to report and, and they, uh, they are mandated uh, to report. So you, you would favor a, a stronger law like they have in the U.S. and Australia, where um, all cases, not just the cases, as you were saying, the new, under the new law, it's only going to be imminent risk of serious harm, but you would favor a stronger law where all cases have to be reported. I think you still uh, need to define it. Uh, um, right now, they what they have proposed is a, a tier system, a level one yeah. and two and three. So that distinction needs to be clear. Well, the tier system is uh, is a re isn't it red and amber, but only the um, the the penalties for failing to report only apply for the most serious category. Uh, right now, is uh, is proposed that way, uh, but they are. I'm happy that the government is having public consultation. So they're still seeking uh, public opinions uh, on the proposal itself. Uh, Dr. Lee, earlier on you were expressing yeah. some reservations about expanding the reporting requirement to, to, to less serious cases. Uh, yes, uh, because uh, I, at the beginning, uh, otherwise there is uh, uh, um, uh, over-reporting, the risk of over-reporting. I think uh, the, the frontline teachers may have... Um, Dread on uh, too many administrative work that is uh, not healthy for uh, for them to build relationship with kids. Yeah, so uh, at this stage, uh, we need to uh, emphasize more the interactions uh, between uh, uh, the teachers and the children, the quality of uh, teaching and quality of interaction. And Dr. Lee, I mean, earlier you talked about, uh, we, we talked about staffing situation at these centres. Mm. Do you have any idea what the uh, ratio of uh, staff um, to, yes. uh, to kids are? Yeah, this is a good question. The ratio actually is very, um, uh, we need to review it. Uh, because uh, for a uh, uh, non-residential um, uh, uh, centre, uh, for children under two years old, uh, the ratio is uh, one to eight, one teachers to eight children for residential area. 
this arrangement is the same. So, uh, in fact, um, uh, because uh, that kind of children, they are most of them are from a vulnerable family, so uh, usually they have emotional or behavioral problems. So the ratio of one to eight is uh, really high. Uh, I suggest the government need to review uh, that uh, ratio to enhance the quality uh, of the, uh, the, uh, uh, the the quality of caring the young children. So that is uh, one point uh, one to eight, and for two to three years old, that is one for fourteen. So the center uh, we are talking about. They have two groups of young children. One is uh, below two, uh, that is crutches or uh, toddlers, and then one is two to three years old. That is so. The ratio is one to fourteen, and also uh, because the center runs twenty-four hours, so the uh, the children will stay overnight. Uh, at the night time, the ratio for under two years old is one to twelve. So that is one teacher to twelve young children. Also, uh, for two to five to three to keep three years old. So actually, um, I think uh, we have to review the basal at this stage. Yeah, because otherwise the teachers may be may not be able to handle so many children uh, uh, when they uh, have some activities or interactions. So the basal may need to lower to one to six would be better. Right. And uh, Ms. Sito, what, what do you think? I mean, you talked about the the uh, need for well-trained staff. I mean, it looks like we need more well-trained staff, not just, uh, I mean, we need more staff. How, how, how can we get people um, to be more interested in, in joining? Just yeah. very briefly. Uh, I think there are a lot of elements that are actually needed. Uh, the staff uh, itself is one. It is it is uh, unfortunate with the, with the situation in, in Hong Kong, actually, we do lose a lot of talent and then uh, we need to continue to actually uh, for child-facing organization. It's so critical to actually uh, perform, prevent the harm from children. You need to be able to attract talent there. But training, in, in fact, it, it's also only one thing. Uh, for us, we always talk about child safeguarding. There are actually many elements that need to be in place. All right, um, Masito, sure unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. Sorry, we have to take a short break for the news. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Carol Sito, the Chief Executive Officer of Save the Children Hong Kong. And Dr. Lee, we can continue the discussion after the news when we will be joined by Patrick Chung, the Chairperson of uh, the Executive Committee of Against Child Abuse. And uh, right now, the temperature is 29 degrees, relative humidity 72%. with Danny Gitchings and me, Janice Wong. If you're just tuning in now, we're talking about how to stem child abuse after a suspected case was reported at a care centre run by the Poland Cook this week. Still with us on the programme is Dr. Amelia Lee, Head of Early Childhood and Elementary Education at the Hong Kong Baptist University's School of Continuing Education. And joining us now is Dr. Patrick Chung, the Chairperson of the Executive Committee of Against Child Abuse. And before we go to our guests, a couple of emails coming in. If you want to uh, express any thoughts, you can email us at backchatter.rthk.hk. That's backchatter.rthk.hk. Uh, and a couple of emails from David. David says, you need to start at step one. All parents need to be able to pick up that telephone and talk to a social worker if they have a child problem. Step two, teachers need discipline, but they also need to be a friend of that child. So the child will talk to the teacher and their friends. 
Step four, why is the child being naughty? There's obviously a problem in the home in the fact that the caregivers don't understand the situation and how to deal with it. I thought many social homes had cameras. What are the managers doing? Who is checking? This is a system and a management job and something has gone wrong. And uh, also adding in a second email, as a parent, if I have a problem with my child, I cannot get on the phone and speak to a social worker and educator for advice. I have to go through the system and get the whole welfare department involved. This is ridiculous. If you can't solve a simple task like that, how can you move on to welfare centres? Thank you very much, David. All right. So good morning, Dr. Cho. Good morning. Thanks good morning. for joining us uh, this morning. morning. Um, first of all, do you have any response to, to the emails just now? I mean, some, some suggested uh, setting up a hotline. Uh, what was your view on that? I think they are very good suggestions, very sensible, and that's the core of the problem because child abuse is defined by community standards and how we see child abuse, uh, what type of actions that you do to the child is abuse. So um, the definition varies with time, varies with different society, varies with culture. So I, I, I heard earlier on we discuss about discipline and child abuse. Child abuse is teaching a child using violence. Discipline is a ch- uh, 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 the method to teach a child what is the right thing to do, how to behave well. So I think those are very good, very good sound and comments. But, but do you think there is a clear distinction between the two? Between? I mean, it, it may be between the two, like between uh, abuse uh, and uh, discipline. I mean, it may be, like you said, it may be, it may vary between different culture or different people. Yes, and very with time as well, because you know, in the in the olden times we 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 were hit. You know, it is well accepted. But now in the nowadays, um, a corporal punishment is not accepted. So it changes with time. It changes with different society. So the standard how we define child abuse should be by community community standards and also some of the medical co- uh, conditions that are set by professional standards as well. And, so, yeah. and uh, looking at the uh, latest suspected abuse case, uh, it was discovered by Poland Code, the operator of the care centre and uh, also social welfare officers during a random check, which led to uh, a further review of security camera footage. Um, so in this case, it looks like inspections are working. Um, so Dr. Chung, does it mean we just need more of them for now before um, legislation on uh, the mandatory reporting of suspected child abuse is, is ready? I think surveillance is uh, part of the uh, the part of the way to the detect abuse, but we need to take the um, the child protection to a higher level. For example, the uh, uh, for each organisation to have their own child protection policy, uh, which. For example, you have an employment check, you have the uh, induction training for the new staff on child protection and uh, the super- supervision and uh, ongoing training and on- ongoing audit. So, uh, so this is for each individual organization. A child protection policy is very, very important. And also the, uh, the, uh, the authorities supervising uh, these institutions, they have the role to, um, to, 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 to make regular checks. So um, uh, uh, talking about the Poland Cook uh, the incident, I hope it is a, um, uh, so uh, I heard from the news, it is a, a person with a prob- on probation, on probation, it, it, it is a, a, a one case on that, that single person. So I hope it, 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 it won't repeat the previous uh, uh, incident in, in late 2021.
Now, earlier on, we were talking about the rise in the number, the sharp rise in the number of reported uh, child abuse cases, or, or almost by 50% in a year. And uh, our, our guests were saying that uh, this was probably at least partly due to uh, uh, the effects of COVID, and, but also that the reported cases um, is probably just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the true number of cases. Uh, do, do you agree, Dr. Chung? Yeah, I, I agree completely. Just one point edge to uh, one point adding um, is the time of uh, children online when they are in the uh, COVID period. They are more vulnerable to the uh, to the risk on the internet. So, you, as you can see, the, also the sexual abuse uh, there is increase. So, uh, the sexual abuse increased by uh, uh, physical abuse increased by fifty three percent and thirty five percent increase in sexual abuse compared to the previous year so uh, so just one point adding to and uh, all the, all adding to the frictions uh, between the family members the eco economy and and also the, the uh, mandatory reporting requirement is quite imminent and all the professionals are very alert of this uh, situation and also uh, uh, last year in uh, April there was a court case so that raised a lot of uh, community awareness raised a lot of professional awareness so um, people are more uh, better and detecting signs of uh, abuse in to identify the uh, abuse so I think this accumulation accumulating uh, factors uh, leading to the rise of uh, uh, reported cases. Right. Dr. Lee, what do you think of uh, Dr. Chen's suggestion about uh, child protection policy for, for different uh, NGOs, I guess he's talking about? I think uh, this is a good suggestion. So uh, we need to promote that kind of uh, reporting system. And uh, because uh, we haven't done it for uh, ever, and this is the first uh, time to implement that kind of policy, so I think uh, we need to have a forward discussions amongst uh, the community, the whole, uh, all the uh, stakeholders. And, and how about what Dr. Chung said about uh, on online, children being online is, a, is also a big factor in uh, child abuse. Uh, to, to, those kind of cases haven't really come to light so much. I mean, mostly when we talk about problems about children being online, it's, it's conflicts with their parents and maybe their parents losing control because they're online so much. But the other side that... Uh, children might be subject to abuse while they're online. Dr. Lee, do you think there are a lot of cases there? We have an idea? It depends the age of age group of the children. Because uh, nowadays, from our research, uh, those children, they are already old enough, maybe a primary or secondary. Um, uh, actually, cyber addiction is very common. So there is always a tension, conflict between the parents and the kids. Uh, because they don't concentrate on studies. But for the adults, uh, maybe uh, some of them are quite uh, obvious nowadays. Especially uh, if adults, their kids are young, uh, most likely they are being ignored at home. So uh, actually cyber is a, a, a quite, a, quite an issue uh, in Hong Kong. Yeah. And how about, uh, Dr. Chung, how about that side? You, you mentioned earlier about kids being abused by strangers online, but how about the the issue of um, tensions arising within the family and, and abuse just because of uh, children's cyber addiction? Yes, uh, children, um, uh, many of the in online habits of the children are not uh, contained in the COVID period, and the parents have a problem in uh, supervising or monitoring the, the young children's use. Uh, the sexual abuse I, I, I am talking about is for those uh, teenagers or uh, so older children. They, they meet different people, strangers online, and they can be lured to, you know, to have a uh, personal meetings or uh, being exposed, 
you know, showing their body parts online. So those are the things that uh, uh, that, that that leads to the increase in the sexual abuse cases. So. Right. Uh, I'm, um, Dr. Lee, I just want to go back to a point you made uh, right before the news, talking about the ratio between uh, um, the carers and uh, children at uh, these uh, child care centres. Um, um, you, you said that there are around maybe like uh, one carer to every uh, eight uh, young children, yeah, yeah. which is uh, not satisfactory. Is this uh, because there is a serious shortage of staff at these centres? Uh, I don't think so, uh, because um, the centre will... Um uh, we could start according to the funding uh, of the government. So uh, it depends on the funding, uh, what are the ratio. So uh, I just uh, brought through uh, uh, an article from OECD uh, that was published in uh, 2018. It mentioned that uh, actually the ratio um, between uh, staff and children, if the ratio is lower, definitely that will enhance the quality of uh, teaching and learning in all the service providing. So there's strong emphasis that the ratio is a matter. And then another issue is that uh, that, that means a smaller group size and child staff ratio are also generally positive related to, related to process quality. So that is important. So about the quality rating, uh, we have to have a very objective measurement standard. Uh, what are the performance indicators the center has to be performed? So the assessment becomes more uh, meaningful or the visit becomes more meaningful. That is very important. Otherwise, we just focus on spot checking. That will be very uh, distorted. The whole, whole message distorted, and that will not benefit to our young children. And also about an issue about the reporting line, I think um, to appoint a social worker uh, to receive the hotline is a good idea. But uh, I think uh, because at the beginning, uh, uh, the, the uh, service provider may not be clear about how to draw the line. But the well-trained social worker, maybe all government officials, they are very clear about the policy, the requirement. They can give advice. So I think this is a good point because uh, when they report, if it is not very serious, uh, the government can uh, uh, maybe uh, the, 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 uh, the government may uh, advise them no need to report. So I think that from the beginning, some support to the front line is very important. Uh, Dr Chung, earlier on the programme we were discussing uh, differing opinions on how far the new law should go on uh, mandatory reporting, uh, whether, uh, of course, the new law is only proposing that uh, it will be an offence if you fail to report some cases where uh, what's called the red tier of imminent risk of serious harm, whereas other countries have much broader law, like US and so on, broader laws on terms of um, what needs to be reported. Wh wh where do you stand on this? I think um, um, I, I'm in support of... Um, helping the children so if there is any um, any situations when a person suspects uh, child abuse occurring it needs to be brought to the uh, surface so it needs to be reported so um, in uh, uh, overseas country they uh, besides the physical sexual ne child neglect and psychological abuse they uh, urge people to report uh, weaknesses of uh, domestic violence but it's, it's, not, it's, not just, it's not just urge, it's, it's, it's an, it's, it can be an offence if you fail to do so. Um, Sorry? It, it's not just that they urge people to report, but it can be a criminal offence if you mm. fail to do yes, so. It's mandatory. Yeah, it's mandatory. Um, in, in some countries, it's mandatory to report uh, IPV, intimate partner violence, or domestic violence as well. 
So um, I, I think the current system for uh, for the uh, in, in, in the consultation is to try to do a good triage system because we are expecting uh, quite a large number of uh, reported cases. So they um, uh, try to triage it better for different types of cases to report first to the police or report first to the social welfare uh, department so that there will be an, an, a triage and assessment for the division of uh, which type of people should handle the cases better. And, so, and, and how about the issue of young children, who are very basically babies who are not, not even in kindergarten? Isn't that a bit of a loophole that um, you, you can't rely on any teachers to spot signs of abuse there? Yes, young children. Um, uh, if, if you know there is, a, um, there is another uh, proposal by the Law uh, Reform uh, Commission, on uh, on this uh, new proposal is failure to protect failure to protect protect offense which focuses on uh, young children uh, being cared for irresponsible uh, caregivers in which uh, in previous court cases or previous cases you cannot pinpoint who is the perpetrator or who is the abuser causing the death or the serious harm of the person so the uh, failure to protect uh, offense sort of uh, target at this type of uh, situations whereby if you knowingly um, uh, if you know something is happening to a child and you do not report, you are li held liable. So I, I would hope uh, after the mandatory reporting uh, responsibility is uh, uh, implemented, uh, the government will seriously look into this new offence, the uh, failure to protect offence. So it is uh, uh, probably better addressing to the young, uh, young infants you know, uh, under caregivers who are irresponsible. All right, uh, Dr. Cheung, uh, we have to uh, leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Patrick Cheung, the chairperson of the Executive Committee of Against Child Abuse. Many thanks also to Dr. Amelia Lee, Head of Early Childhood and Elementary Education at the Hong Kong Baptist University's School of Continuing Education. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. It's now 18 minutes past nine. Let's turn to our second topic today, and it's about NASA's DART spacecraft successfully slamming into a distant asteroid, the world's first test of a planetary defense system designed to prevent a potential doomsday meteor collision with Earth. To tell us more, we're now joined on the line by Professor Quentin Parker, Director of Laboratory for Space Research at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Professor Parker. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, I, I must say, this really sounds like a plot from a Hollywood blockbuster. Um, can you first tell us what actually happened in, in the collision? Yes, well, um, you had a kind of 600-kilogram um, satellite smashing in to uh, the uh, dimorphous, very small asteroid at about 22,500 kilometers per hour. So there's a lot of kinetic energy in that collision, 
And, um, and so the idea with this whole mission, this uh, um, DART mission, when DART stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test, it's called Double Asteroid because um, uh, this dimorphous is actually uh, part of a, um, of, a, of a binary. There's a much larger one, and this is the smaller one in the two that are, that are orbiting around each other. Uh, it's only about, this one is only about the size of a, of a football pitch or so. And so uh, this, the, the, the satellite crashed into this one at that high speed. And the idea with this whole, whole mission is that can you change the orbit of an asteroid like that with such a collision. The idea being, of course, that uh, if we can do that when the asteroid is still a really long way away from the Earth, then you change the orbit very slightly. Well, over the distance that the asteroid is away by the time it gets to the Earth, when it would have collided, it will now miss the Earth. So the whole idea is can we um, sort of avoid cataclysmic um, you know, disaster by uh, getting, making a, a deflection of an asteroid that was on an impact trajectory with our Earth and therefore saving the Earth. I mean, that's basically the whole idea. Yeah, but that, 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 we don't know that whether they succeeded, do we? I mean, it's been treated as a well, great, great success because they actually managed to hit the asteroid, but um, yes. nobody yet knows whether it's actually changed its path. It might just be continuing. Well, it takes time to figure it out because, you know, these orbits are... are, 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 are you need to measure very precisely these bodies over a period of time to check whether the orbit has changed. So we can see that it impacted successfully. There was a small uh, CubeSat for the Italians designed uh, that was uh, launched launched by the other satellites to actually look at the impact, take images of it and send those back to Earth. We haven't got those back yet, but when we do, uh, we'll uh, actually look at what the impact was. And then we'll track these asteroids over a period of time, several weeks, a month or so, and then we can check the observed new trajectory with the predicted trajectory from its previous orbit and see if there's been a deflection. So, so how difficult would you say it was for the uh, spacecraft to hit the asteroid uh, with uh, such precision? I mean, uh, like you mentioned, the, the spacecraft is uh, uh, like the size of a vending machine and the asteroid, a, a football stadium. And, uh, but, but, but I mean, the, the thing is, the distance between the two was 11 million kilometers, right? I mean, you know, the, uh, the satellite was launched um, uh, in November last year and it smashed into its target in less than a year and so you know i mean we're getting very good now at uh, you know we can we can dock with the space shuttle um uh, you know sorry we can dock with the space station um very easily now and that's you know like a needle in the haystack in space and you can send up your docking and you can dock with it uh you know we can send things out to lagrangian points and we can send things to them you know it's now very precise uh processes and technologies that we have that allow us to to uh, match um, orbits and therefore and also close in on, on, on a target. It's not the first time we've done this. It was, a, it was done already with, a, with another mission, Deep Impact. Um, uh, <laughs> Hang on, you, really, so, you really are going into Hollywood movies there, aren't you, right? Do they, do, are they naming these missions after the movie or has the movie been named after the mission? <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, you know, whatever captures the public imagination because, you know, the public, uh, when they engage with missions like this, it helps NASA, it helps uh, justify the funding. You know, but this is existential stuff because if we can... Uh, if we detect a hazardous asteroid, and we're looking for them all the time, but we're missing a lot, but when we find one that's uh, potentially on an Earth-crossing orbit, i.e., the, 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 the asteroid could collide with the Earth, depending on the size of the asteroid, it could create local damage, it could create um, countrywide damage, or it could create global damage, depending on the size. I mean, the last one that collided uh, with the Earth of any significance was back in 1908, you know, with the Tunguska event that flattened 20,000 um, square kilometers of Siberian forest. I mean, if that happened in Europe, 
or, or you know, hit, hit the city of London. I mean, you know, you'd, you'd have the devastation over much of England. To, or to... In Hong Kong, you know, you'd wipe out Hong Kong. So these things happening all the time at smaller, larger and very large levels over hundreds, thousands and millions of years. It really depends on the statistical probability. We will be hit again. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but it's a question of if there's a big one, can we deflect it by detecting it early enough that we can avoid this cataclysmic collision with the Earth that wiped out the dinosaurs was the last big one 65 million years ago? Yeah, there's presumably limits to how big a, a, an asteroid we can deflect, right? You, you said this one's the size of a football pitch, but say, say it's the size of a small moon or something. I mean, hitting, hitting it with, a, uh, with, one, with one of our rockets, is, is that, presumably that's not going to have enough of an impact. So with, this will work up to a certain size, but not beyond. Well, actually, what it is, it's a testing of the principle that it can work, that we can impact. You know, we know the approximate mass of this small uh, um, um, asteroid, Dimorphos. We know the mass of the uh, collider, our satellite. We know the kinetic energy of the collision. And if we make assumptions about the, the, the structure of this um, asteroid and its uh, physical integrity, I think, I don't know if you looked at the images of this thing, it looks like a, you know, it looks like a, a lemon that's been, uh, been coated in sugar and then wrapped in dust. I mean, it, all these things are barely hanging on because the, the gravity of this body is so small. It's just like a conglomerate of stuff that's attracted together and formed this oval body. Uh, no craters on it at all, of course. Cause it, but anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, it depends really on, 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 on the sizes and masses of the bodies that are working. So we don't just have to send one. If we see something big, we can send many satellites at great cost. But, you know, we spend a trillion dollars, say, on a mission to save the Earth. I mean, that's worth every single penny <laughs> and more. So... Uh, so we're just demonstrating the technology can work to deflect something, and then you scale up the calculations, the masses, the speeds, you know, and you get and you. So this is basically the part of the process of, of you know, of Earth defence that's been going on for a while. First of all, we need to find these things, find if any of them are in dangerous Earth-crossing orbits, and once we find them, then are any of them creating a problem for us in the future, 100 years down the track, a thousand years, and if we if they are. Can we do something about it? And so this is the first part of the process of seeing if we can do something about it. For the first time, it looks like we can. Let's, let's, let's let our imagination run away a bit here. I mean, in the movies, of course, they land on asteroids and they blow them up with bombs and things like that. I mean, is, 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 you just said this is the first stage. Is, is those sort of um, even more well, drastic yeah, the, the, steps are yeah. imaginable further down the line? Well, the point is, you see, if you can detect something when it's still extremely far away then the energy and the effort needed to deflect it is really small compared to what you have to do if it's much closer. If you only detect this thing when it's a few, you know, 100,000 miles away or a million miles away as opposed to, you know, a billion miles away, then uh, the energy needed to deflect it from its path is much, much greater. So you then have to look at resorting to the kind of Hollywood, let's try to blow the thing out of the sky kind of thing. Because, but it's much easier to deal with a problem like this if you can detect it when it's still so far away that a tiny, tiny change to its orbit is all you need built up over the next years that will be, end up missing the Earth completely. And You've got to understand, you know, it's a, it's a combination of a tiny deflection to its orbit now results in a huge deflection by the time it gets to the Earth. 
and is our far-range detection capabilities good enough to, to detect these in, in time, as you say, to just... just well, that, that's, that's the million-dollar question. I mean, we're, we're getting better and better at detect, detecting smaller and smaller asteroids and measuring their orbits more and more accurately. Because if you measure the orbit accurately, then you can predict its future path, its future direction. That's the whole point of having an orbit. You know where it's going to be in the future. It's very predictive. If you have a precise orbit, you can predict precisely where it's going to be in the future. And so this is the game. Finding the things, finding their orbits to very high precision, and seeing if any of those objects are going to collide with the Earth. And if they're of a significant size, do we need to act? And do we know how much the um, collision can throw off the trajectory of the asteroid? Bye. Well, I mean, we're looking at with the calculations that have already been done on certain assumptions prior to collision. They were looking to try to create a 1% deflection. Right. So, so, when, so when will we actually find out if the mission was a success? I well, mean, as, as it's been said, they've got to now monitor this system over the next uh, weeks and months to see if they can measure that deflection and see if it's within the predicted range of the deflection they'd hoped for. So we'll get those results, uh, and they'll come through in due course once, once they've had enough time. You see, you know, if you, if you can't tell, you know, an orbit becomes obvious when you let it run for a period of time so you can see over a period of time between point A and point B how much that orbit might have changed. If you're only looking at it a day later, you've actually got a really, you, you haven't got the precision to see a deflection, but if you're looking a month later, you can see. So it's a question of, you know, tiny differences become manifest over time. Yeah, That's it, the whole point, really, of this as well. Yeah. You know, the tiny differences now yeah. can lead to a big difference by the time the thing would have hit the Earth and that will miss the Earth. Yeah. Now, as you were saying earlier, this is all good publicity for NASA and they the mm. perpetually need more funds. Is, is, do you think there's an element in which they're drumming up this story to be more than it really is? Absolutely not. I mean, we know these things have ha- I mean, <laughs> over geological time, there have been major extinction events most of which are due to a combination of major impacts from asteroids and comets, which could result also in associated global uh, volcanism and supervolcanoes, which then uh, wipe out most of the life on Earth. This has happened multiple times over the last few billion years. The last big event was Tunguska in 1908, uh, but there have been other events like, you know, you can just look at, you know, the Earth changes its surface very regularly through erosion because there's a big climate and we have an atmosphere. But uh, you, we can still see, you know, the, the Arizona crater, you know, craters in Australia. So we know our Earth has been pummeled by collisions with planetary bodies for billions of years. I mean, many more in the distant past, much less today. We have statistical models. We know precisely that the risk of a body of a certain size hitting the Earth is one in X, depending on the size of the body. And as the bodies get larger and larger, the probability is smaller and smaller. So the probability, though, that we'll be hit by a significant body sometime in the future is a very high. It's just All a right. question of not 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 if, it's a question of when. All right, Professor Parker, I'm sure we can talk about this for much longer, but unfortunately <laughs> we're out of time. But as always, okay. it's a pleasure to have you on our program. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Professor Quinton Parker, Director of Laboratory for Space Research at the University of Hong Kong. Many thanks also to your emails and comments and, of course, our guest presenter, Danny Gitchings and producer Yuki. Now here's the weather. Mainly cloudy with a few showers, sunny intervals during the day with a top temperature of around 31 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies, strong offshores to start with. And the outlook, sunny intervals with a few showers in the next couple of days. Right now it's 29 degrees, relative humidity 73%. I'm Dr. Emma Nam. The pandemic is surging with more contagious mutant strains. The elderly are at the highest risk if a new wave comes. 
Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Take your 